What are you most looking forward to when lockdown is over and you're given the all clear to go about your daily life again? Have a think for a second. Maybe you're looking forward to going away on holiday or going back to your favourite restaurant. Maybe you're looking forward to getting a proper haircut and tidying up the homemade effort that you've had. I've seen a few crackers and I'm sure you have too. Maybe you're looking forward to something that's been postponed. Perhaps an operation or a house move or a wedding. Maybe you're looking forward to having a public thanksgiving for a loved one who's died. A newspaper recently surveyed the general public about what they're most looking forward to when lockdown is over. I thought I'd tell you the top three. Coming in at number one was meeting newborn babies. Coming in at number two was going out for an evening, putting your best clothes on, getting your hair done and having a nice evening out. And then coming in at number three was getting some peace and quiet. One person said that they're looking forward to having a day off work without their whole family being there as well. And I'm sure many of us can sympathise with that person. Life's hard at the moment, isn't it? It's hard when there's been something in the diary that's been put on hold indefinitely. It's hard when you can't meet up with the people that you love or do the things that you love to do. But let me push the question a little bit further. Is there something more to live for than meeting newborn babies and nice evenings out and doing things that have been postponed? Well, what does the Bible have to say? Craig and Rachel are going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1. So please turn in your Bibles to that passage. And if you don't have a Bible, just go online and type in NIV, that's N for November, IV, and then 1 Peter 1. And the first hit that will come up will be BibleGateway.com. And if you click on there, you'll be able to follow along with the reading. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into the inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was come to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them 
was pointing them when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Thanks very much to Craig and Rachel for reading and to Judith for praying. So to go back to my question before, does the Bible say that we have something to live for, something more than uh, getting through this lockdown and meeting new babies and things like that? Well, the answer from 1 Peter chapter 1 is a resounding yes. Peter, who had been one of Jesus' disciples, is writing to Christians, uh, these are people who are followers of Jesus, to encourage them in difficult times. And for followers of Jesus, one of the greatest encouragements is there in verse 3. Verse 3, if you look at it with me, says that we have been given a new birth into a living hope. Christians have a living hope. That's what verse 3 tells us. And what I want to do this morning is talk with you about this living hope for a little while. Because when we begin to grasp uh, what our hope is, and, and obviously we'll never plumb the depths of it entirely, uh, but when we begin to grasp what it is, it'll help us to live well in this world. So I want to say three things this morning about this living hope. And the first thing is this. This living hope is absolutely certain. This living hope is an absolute certainty. The Christian hope is not getting through this lockdown period or, or, or getting back to doing things that we love to do, going to our favourite restaurants and things like that, as great as these things will be. The Christian hope is in something greater, something far greater. And it's found in verses 3 to 5 as we see Peter spill out in praise to God. Do you see what the Christian's hope is? It's there in verse 4 and it's there in verse 5. Verse 4 calls it our inheritance and verse 5 calls it the coming of our salvation. That's the Christian hope, that on the last day salvation will come. We're going to be saved. We will live with Christ for eternity and sin and death will be no more. And the point I want to get across to you this morning is that this living hope is an absolute certainty. Now, I might say something like, uh, I hope it's sunny tomorrow. But there's, there's no certainty that that will happen. That's not hope. That's wishful thinking, particularly living here uh, in Scotland. The living hope of salvation that Peter's talking about is absolutely certain. And here are two reasons from the passage. Firstly, this living hope has come about through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what verse 3 tells us. Our hope doesn't come from anything that we've achieved or anything that we will achieve. No, our hope is based on something that Jesus has done, rising from the dead. That's something that Christians celebrated all over the world last week on Easter Sunday. Our hope is in the resurrection. That, that, that Jesus rose from a sealed tomb, defeating death and sin. And we sing about this truth a lot in our church. We sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood 
and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but holy trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Christian hope is solid and certain because it's built on Christ's resurrection. The second reason our hope is absolutely certain is there for us in verse 4. It's been kept for us in heaven where it can't perish or spoil or fade. When I was a teenager my granddad uh, died and uh, kindly he left my brother and my sister and me an inheritance, a, a sum of money for us to use. But uh, all these years later, I can say that that inheritance is now all gone. It's completely perished. Uh, it's just a distant memory. But that's not the case with our inheritance in verse 4. Our hope of eternity with Christ, our salvation, can never perish or spoil or fade. It's been kept for us in heaven. We're, we're already named in the will, as it were. It's already destined for us. It's absolutely certain. And until then, we live by faith. That's what verse 5 says. Uh, shielded by God's power until Jesus returns. Our hope is absolutely certain because it's founded on Christ's resurrection, not on anything that we've done. And it's been kept in heaven for us. It, it's out of harm's way. It's never going to perish or spoil or fade. So that's the first thing I want to say, that this living hope that we have is absolutely certain. The second thing that we can say about this living hope is that it's accompanied by suffering. This living hope that we have is accompanied by suffering. That's what verses 6 to 9 uh, tell us. Uh, verse 6 starts off, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. The point Peter's making here is that even as you rejoice in this living hope, life is still going to be hard. You're still going to suffer grief in, in all kinds of trials. That is just the nature of life in this world. And that was the experience of the people that Peter was writing to as well. These people are described in verse 1 as elect exiles. These were people who were scattered across the Roman Empire in what is now known as, as modern-day Turkey. Now, these words elect and exiles are packed with Old Testament meaning. Elect is just another way of saying chosen ones. And in the Old Testament, these chosen ones uh, were originally the Israelites. But now, through Peter's own involvement in preaching the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the door has been opened to people who, who aren't Jews, we call them Gentiles, and they're now part of God's family too. They, they, they're part of God's chosen people. But as well as being the chosen ones, they're also described as, as exiles. They're not at home. They're strangers. They're, they're refugees, if you like. And if you read through the rest of First Peter, it's clear they're suffering because of their faith. And Peter's point is that this situation is still one of rejoicing, despite suffering. These people love Jesus, verse 8. 
tells us. He says that they're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because of their faith in Jesus, even during the, the suffering that they're going through. And we also read that there's, there's actually purpose in this suffering. That's what verse 7 teaches us. Peter said that these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter's point is that how you and I suffer, how we respond to that suffering, uh, shows whether our faith is genuine or not. What suffering does is it, it refines our faith. It burns away all the false hopes that we have. It burns away all the distractions and, and all the, the comforts that we cling to. And Peter likens suffering to fire. Uh, th- th- there's something about fire that's very clarifying, isn't there? There's something about fire that makes us realise what's important. If you go to school or if you go to work, you know that every so often you have to do a, a fire drill. And one of the things that you're taught is that in a real fire, don't take anything with you. Your stuff isn't important. You're important. Let everything else get burned out. The most important thing is that you get out of that fire. And suffering has the same effect as fire. It refines us. It helps us realise what really matters. The only thing that matters in this world is genuine faith in Christ. Everything else will perish. And for for some of us, it might take suffering for us to realise all that we have in Christ and how little everything else actually matters. You might not realise that Christ is all you have until everything else is taken from you. Now, I know that that is a hard thing to hear. But it's also a good thing to hear. Because faith that withstands suffering is faith that will prove to be genuine. And the end result of faith that is genuine, as as verse 9 teaches us, is the salvation of our souls. The living hope that Christians have is accompanied by suffering. But this suffering does us good by refining our faith and proving the genuineness of our faith. So, as Christians, our living hope is absolutely certain. It's accompanied by suffering. And finally, it's an awesome privilege. This hope that we have is an awesome privilege. That's what verses 10 to 12 teach us. In verse 10, we read, Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care. And what they were searching for is there in verse 11. Uh, They were trying to find out the times and the circumstances of Jesus, the Messiah's suffering. These Old Testament prophets, such as Isaiah, who Neil and Nicky read from earlier, didn't fully know all the details about Jesus. Isaiah spoke about someone who would come and uh, take up our pain. Someone who would come who would bear our suffering and be punished, that we might have peace. But Isaiah never knew who this suffering Messiah specifically was. 
But as Christians living today, we have this awesome privilege because as verse 12 says, these Old Old Testament prophets were, were serving not themselves, but the people who would come long after they died. New Testament believers, like the ones that Peter was writing to, and believers like us today. Verse 12 says that even angels long to fully understand what has been accomplished by Jesus' suffering on the cross. But we are privileged to live when we do because we know how God's plan to save a people for himself has worked out. We know how it's worked out so far and we know how it's going to work out in the end. We know that Jesus came into this world to save sinners by dying on the cross in their place for their sins. We know that he rose from the grave, as he promised, triumphing over sin and triumphing over death. We know that he's now in heaven at the right-hand side of the Father, praying for us. And we know that he will return again one day to take his followers to be with him. In Queensree, down on the the waterfront, there's a, a bronze memorial to men who died while building the fourth bridge, the the, the real bridge, uh, just down the street. It's got the names and ages and and the jobs of 73 men known as Briggers. And I'm sure that the men that served on that project um, longed for the day when they could uh, see all complete and and travel over the bridge on a train and, and maybe bring their families to come and see it. But they never did. But they've, they've served us and we can now use that bridge and we can appreciate it in all its glory. The Old Testament prophets never saw the fulfilment of what they prophesied about. They died before then. But they've served us by prophesying about Jesus coming and his living and his dying. We are in the privileged position of living after the original Easter Sunday. It's an awesome privilege to have this living hope to know exactly how the story of the suffering Messiah goes, to know that this Jesus who died for us also rose again, and to be able to worship him with inexpressible and glorious joy. I want to encourage you to never forget the awesome privilege that you have living in this age and knowing about this salvation in all of the detail that we have it. Well, in light of this passage, what is Jesus invitation to us it's quite simply this will you place your hope in me until I come again will you place all your hope in me until I come again what could it look like to say no to Jesus invitation well let me tell you about my friend uh, Gareth Uh, Gareth is someone who uh, prizes his his education and his work Uh, he has a very impressive LinkedIn profile if you know what that is, don't, don't worry if you don't. Uh, he prizes his me time and his, his freedom. He's someone who's well-travelled and well-dressed. Uh, Gareth likes the finer things in life. And he's someone who has so far said no to Jesus. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, Gareth is not feeling particularly hopeful in lockdown, from what I can see. Many of the hopes that uh, Gareth placed his hope in were taken away from him when the lockdown started. You can forget about travel in lockdown uh, lockdown time. Um, He's not getting a lot of me time 
In fact, he'd tell you that he's busier than ever. Uh, there's no point in having nice clothes when you're only going from the bedroom to uh, the kitchen and into the living room. The things that Gareth hopes in are not things to stake your life upon. These are false hopes and empty hopes and dead hopes. And even after lockdown, these things are not going to save Gareth on the last day. There's only one living hope, and that living hope is Jesus Christ. But what could it look like to say yes to Jesus? For us now to do that, to say yes to him and yes to his invitation. Well, maybe like Gareth, you've not yet put your hope in Jesus. Uh, maybe you've stumbled across this video or somebody shared uh, you uh, a link with you for it. And maybe you've got a bunch of questions. Well, on Thursday nights, uh, our church has a group of people who, who get together on Zoom from 8.30 till 9.30 to look at some of the common questions that people have about life and death and faith. There's DVD clips and uh, there's interviews and time for uh, discussion questions. Or you can just uh, sit back if you like and observe. There's no problem with that. Why don't you get involved in that? It's called Glad You Asked. And if you uh, drop an email to gya, for Glad You Asked, at charlottechapel.org, We'll get back to you with more info. That's gya at charlottechapel.org. Maybe you are trusting in Jesus, but this lockdown period has shown you that when your choices are limited and your freedoms are limited, you've been staking your life on things that have distracted you from your real hope, your living hope in Jesus. Why don't you write out a list of these things that have been distracting you and share them with a friend and why don't you both commit to praying through them that, that these things that you've been hoping in would become less and that your hope in Jesus would become the most central thing again in your life? Maybe you're somebody who's fearful at this time about your job or health or loved ones. Why not commit to spending more time reading and meditating on God's word? Psalms are a great place to go. Maybe Psalm 46 would be helpful to you, reminding yourself of God's sovereignty and his care. Maybe you could uh, also commit to pray for persecuted Christians around the world. Remember, that's who 1 Peter was written to, persecuted Christians. Um, the, the, the Barnabas Fund has a number of different ways to help you pray for persecuted Christians. They're on Facebook and Twitter. They've got an app. Uh, they've got a, a bi-monthly prayer diary that you can use to pray for persecuted Christians. And as you're praying for them and reading their stories, ask God to give you more boldness. If we don't feel like exiles and strangers in our society, we should be asking ourselves, why not? And if you've got kids, why not read good books with them about Christians who've suffered for their faith down through the years? Uh, Christian Focus produce a number of, of books about persecuted Christians. Uh, we've got one on Corrie ten Boom and uh, one on Richard Vermbrand. And there's one on uh, 10 Boys Who Changed the World, which you might find uh, useful too. I'm sure there are plenty more. Or maybe you could take time this week to come back to these words in 1 Peter chapter 1 and, and turn them into a prayer of praise to God for the living hope that you have, uh, remembering the certainty of your hope and the privilege that you have. And then pray that you'll have opportunities to share that hope with family and friends over Zoom or neighbours over the garden fence so that God's kingdom might grow in this time. What could it look like to say yes to Jesus' invitation, to place your hope in him until he comes again? Let's take a few moments to reflect on that and then I'll pray.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the living hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you for his resurrection that achieved it. And we thank you that you're keeping it safely until Jesus returns. Lord God, we pray that you'd help us to rejoice in our salvation, even when we're facing suffering. Uh, we pray that you would test the reality of our faith and refine us through suffering. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus. Uh, we love him despite not seeing him, because even now we're receiving salvation, a salvation that was proclaimed by the prophets. Lord God, we pray that you'd give us inexpressible and glorious joy, and that out of that joy, you'd help us to share our living hope in a dying world. We ask this in the name of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Amen.